0: In our study of Isaiah, we come now to the second major portion of Isaiah. The first portion has been dealing with Isaiah's message to uh, Judah and Jerusalem. But now we shift and we have, from chapters 13 through 27, his message to the nations. The first nation that he deals with is the nation of Babylon, and these are called burdens. The burden of Babylon, it's a declaration of doom. Uh, We won't look in detail at the others, but let's look in detail at this burden of Babylon. We have, first of all, the prophecy of the fall of Babylon. In the uh, second verse, it says uh, that there will be a drafting of an army by the Lord. This is the first thing we have here. Lift ye up a banner upon the high mountain. Exalt... The voice under them, shake the hand, that they may go into the gates of the nobles. The imagery here, you have a high mountain and a standard or banner is set up to attract soldiers. And then they're shouted to, and they're waved on. They come to the gates of the nobles to some very famous gates. Babylon had very famous gates, a gigantic city, uh, walls a hundred uh, walls forty eight miles in circumference. 87 feet thick, uh, 167 feet high, I believe it was. Just a gigantic city and these tremendous gates, about 100 gates, I believe it had. Uh, They are being gathered to besiege Babylon. Uh, The terminology that's used is interesting as it says, I have commanded my sanctified ones. They're referred to as being sanctified. Now, this isn't... Sanctified has a double connotation in the Bible. One, one connotation is moral cleansing, but the other is just being set apart unto the Lord's work. These are not moral, but they are set apart unto the Lord's work. He calls them as a army of his to go against Babylon, just as he had called Assyria to go against Judah. And uh, they're referred to as the uh, instruments... Uh, the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land in verse 5. Uh, the dis- that's the drafting of an army. The description of the day of the Lord then is brought before us in verse 6. Howl ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. The day of the Lord is a phrase that we encounter very often in scripture. It speaks of the day and when, which belongs to God, when he has his final say about everything. It ultimately refers to final judgment day. But there are many days of the Lord that precede that and lead up to it. Babylon had its day of the Lord. Assyria had its day of the Lord. Jerusalem had its day of the Lord. Uh, and here he refers to this day of the Lord as a precursor of the final judgment day. As we read verse 8, we are reminded of language that is employed by Paul concerning the final judgment day, at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse 8, They shall be in pain as a woman that travaileth. Paul said, When they say, Peace and safety... Then cometh sudden destruction upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Speaking of the final judgment. The language, as we read carefully, seems to transcend mere reference to Babylon itself, the literal literal city of Babylon. In verse 11, I will punish the world for their evil. And notice we've gone beyond just the city of Babylon to the world. And just as this day of the Lord, this day of judgment for Babylon, was a, a type or symbol of this ultimate day of the Lord for the entire world, so Babylon itself as a great city symbolized something beyond just the literal city of Babylon. We pick this up when we carry the imagery into the New Testament, into the book of Revelation. If you will, turn to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation 17, starting with verse 3. John speaks of an angel that addresses him and carries him away in the spirit into the wilderness. In verse 3 of 17. And he says, I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-covered beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The beast had seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery... Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. John is impressed and he is puzzled. He wonders what this woman symbolizes. There are those who would say the woman symbolizes the apostate church, that portion of the church that's unfaithful. But you notice the woman is not referred to as an adulteress, but a harlot. Uh, This woman symbolizes the world. She's also referred to as a great city in that same chapter in verse 18. The woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. In the... uh, 18th chapter, the 11th verse. The merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her when she is destroyed. For no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and so on. In verse 14, and the fruits of thy, that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee. And all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee. And thou shalt find them no more, the merchants of these things, which were made rich by her, stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. this woman, this city represents the world in all of its commerce and industry and in all of its abominations of uh, Seductive things and all of its dainties and wares, everything about the world that attracts men away from God. Uh, we can be attracted by the lust of the flesh, uh, the lust of the eyes. We can be attracted by things that otherwise are good, such as commerce and industry or sports. But these things can draw us from God and be something that we become so engrossed in and seek after and things that we really worship that they keep us from God this this represents the world and all of its allurement anything and everything that would draw people from God notice uh, when we think of it in those terms Babylon is past present and future there was a Babylon of Isaiah's day and it was symbolized by the great city the arrogant city the worldly city of Babylon with all of its dainies and all of its commerce and industry and all of its self-sufficiency and then uh, that Babylon was destroyed but there was a Babylon in John's day and in John's day who wrote the book of Revelation Babylon sat on the seven hills the woman sits on the seven hills it's a picture of Rome Rome was a great symbol of this same attraction in John's day Babylon's form changes, but the essence remains. The Babylon of our day would speak of the materialism of America, uh, the wealth, the dainties, the luxuries, anything of this nature that attracts men away from God. The description of the day of the Lord uh, is then brought before us. We see what it means. We see what Babylon means. Uh, symbolizes also but then we have a detailed description of the day of the Lord and the craven fear that will uh, preside over men's hearts during it back in Isaiah chapter 13 and verse 7 it says therefore shall all hands be faint and every man's heart shall melt when God begins to let his judgment pour out on Babylon again uh, The cruel fierceness of it. In verse 9, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. We find that uh, the instrument that he uses, again, uh, this army that he will bring against it. In verse 15, Everyone that is found shall be thrust through with a sword. Verse 16, Their children shall be dashed to pieces before their eyes. And so on. The cruel fierceness of it. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, says, pause and wonder when you read that. Wonder uh, that the God of infinite mercy should suffer this to take place, nay, that he should bring it about. And we learn that although he is gracious, yet he is the God to whom vengeance belongs. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Again, he says, when we read about the children being dashed against the stones, pause and wonder and learn something. He says, we learn that even little infants who have never been guilty of any actual sin, that they should thus be abused, shows that there is an original guilt by which life is forfeited as soon as it is had. Why do infants die? Because infants are guilty of sin. Not their own sin at this uh, early age, but the sin of Adam. And the wages of sin is death. If they weren't guilty, they would not die. But in Adam, all died. His guilt is imputed to the entire race. Not only the craven fear and the cruel fierceness, but the cosmological figures... That shall accompany it abroad before us In verse 9 uh, Excuse me, verse 10 it says The stars of heaven and the constellations thereof Shall not give their light The sun shall be darkened in his goings forth The moon shall not cause her light to shine Young says nature dresses herself in the clothing of wrath The stars don't shine The moon doesn't shine The sun doesn't shine Darkness It's a day of darkness Now this didn't literally happen At the destruction of Babylon, the sun continued to shine, the moon continued to shine, but it was the language of doomsday. And at doomsday, at the return of Jesus Christ, this language will no longer be figurative, it will be actual. These types of cosmological disturbances will take place. We read over in the New Testament in connection with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ where he said in Matthew 24, Immediately after the tribulation of these days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. We see the description of it, but notice the deserving of it. In verse 11, God says, I will punish the world for their evil. And the wicked for their iniquity. This is deserved. You and I deserve this kind of punishment. Are you a sinner? Have you ever done anything at all that you knew was wrong? Did you know you were going against God's will when you did that? Well, you deserve this. How do you know you won't be a part of this? This is exactly what you and I deserve. Notice... The designation of the forces of the Lord. We've seen this drafting of an army, but now he actually names the army. As he says in verse 17, Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them, which shall not regard silver, and as for gold they shall not delight in it. They will come for revenge. The Medes, he names them. And this is actually the kingdom that overthrew Babylonia. 174 years after this prophecy was uttered, he names the kingdom, the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. Modern commentators who are liberal persuasion, who don't believe in the inspiration of God's word, have trouble with that. And so they have to have Isaiah not writing this, someone writing at a later time. And their problem is the supernatural element. But God controls history, and God purposefully tells ahead of time what's going to take place. He declares the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. The destruction of Babylon by the Lord, then, is finally brought before us in Uh, The center of this prophecy. In verse 19, In Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It shall never be inhabited. Neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. Wild beasts of the desert shall lie there. Their houses shall be full of doleful creatures. Owls shall dwell there. So on. The permanency, the finality of the overthrow when we When we look at actual history, it was overthrown uh, by the Medes and Persians, but they didn't totally destroy the city. Then some years later it was overthrown again and some years later. And finally around three hundred BC, it just passed into ruins. In the New Testament, the uh, book of Revelation again brings before us this total overthrow of Babylon. In chapter eighteen, John says, I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power, and he cried mightily with a strong voice saying, Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils and a hole of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Here's the final overthrow of Every Babylon pictured for us in the language of Revelation, the permanency of it, they will no more recover, never again be inhabited. That's been true of literal Babylon. To this day, uninhabited, just a wilderness where the wild beasts roam. If anyone doubts God's predictions and his power to fulfill them, all you need to do is look at that ancient, mighty kingdom of Babylon and see what took place. The nearness of its destruction is spoken of by Isaiah, as he says in verse 22 of Isaiah 13, and her time is near to come, and her days shall not be prolonged. It's always near. Babylon is always ready to cave in and collapse and to experience God's judgment. America's time is near. It's always near. Maybe we can see the nearness. What fierce people will God use to punish America? Who will be his sanctified ones? Will it be Russia? Could be. hmm? China? Looks bad, doesn't it? As a day of the Lord for America and all of its worldliness. Babylon will always fall. Maybe ours will be the final Babylon. Who knows? The next thing that we have brought before us after this prophecy of the fall of Babylon is a proverb against the king of Babylon. This is in the 14th chapter. It says in verse 4, Thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, How hath the oppressor ceased? The golden city ceased. Reading on in verse 11 Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and the noise of thy violins, the worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. How thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning! How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit they that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble and did shake kingdoms? Here we have a proverb, a song taken up against an ideal king, not any specific king, but just the king of Babylon. And his overthrow and the amazement that he who is so mighty has now been so overthrown and is passed off the scene. Since the early Christian days, and writers such as Tertullian and Augustine, men have, many men have felt that we had pictured here not just the fall of the king of Babylon, but the fall of Satan. And yet that cannot be, because you notice this is the end of the tyrannical reign of this king, and he passes off the scene. The fall of Satan, his original fall, Christ said I saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven. His original fall uh, resulted in a reign of tyranny, which is still going on. Lo his doom is sure because Christ has died. But this can't picture the original fall of Satan. This pictures the fall of the king of Babylon and every king of Babylon, every great power. True. This is one who called himself The the morning star Lucifer That's what that means The morning star now, This one who called himself that Was filled with pride Like Satan's heart Apparently became filled with pride uh, But We have pictured here The fall of the king of Babylon And in him the fall of every power That exalts itself Against God We have the Plan and power behind these prophecies then brought before us. First the prophecy of the fall, then the proverb against the king, and then the plan behind all of this. In verse 24, the Lord of hosts hath sworn, God takes an oath, what does God swear that he's going to do? Surely as I have thought, so shall it come to pass. And as I have purpose, so shall it stand, that I will break the Assyrian in my land, and then he will overthrow Babylon. This is the purpose that he purposed, that is purposed upon the whole earth. This is the hand that is stretched out upon the nations. The fall of Babylon and of Assyria would simply be one part of the overall plan of God that he has thought, that he has purposed and that he swears he will carry out. And when his hand is stretched out to fulfill his decrees, who shall disannul it? The Lord hath purposed, and who shall disannul it? And his hand is stretched out. Who can turn it back? God is running this show by plan. It may seem to be topsy-turvy. It may seem that, that... Evil is on the throne, and that wicked men control, but they do not. God will cause the wrath of men to praise Him. He is in control, bringing about His purposes. There is a a place of safety. Where are you going to run? Where can you go to hide? Babylon is fallen. Time is near. Is there any place of safety where men can hide, where a man can be secure from this stretched out hand of Almighty God when he visits for your sin and my sin? Yes, there is a place of safety. The last verse of the 14th chapter. What shall one then answer the messengers of the nation? That the Lord hath founded Zion, and the poor of his people shall trust in it. Here's a place that a man can trust in, Zion, because it's founded by God. Zion means God's true nation, God's true city. There is a city that when this other city falls and crumbles, God's Zion will stand. God's church, his people, the poor of his people can place their trust there. Those who are humble, those who acknowledge their sin, those who fear God and his deserved wrath, there's a place where they can put their trust. God's Zion. It'll stand when everything else burns up. In one of the great hymns of the church, Oh, where are kings and empires now of old that went and came? But Lord, thy church is praying yet a thousand years the same. We mark her goodly battlements And her foundation strong, we hear within the solemn voice of her unending song. For not like kingdoms of the world, thy holy church, O God, though earthquake shocks are threatening her and tempest are abroad, unshaken as the eternal hills, immovable she stands, a mountain that shall fill the earth, a house not made with hands. Zion is the place that men can trust. And of course, this great city, the foundation of Zion is the Lord Jesus Christ whom God would send to be a refuge through his death. Here is the one in whom we place our trust. Jesus' blood, his death, Jesus' blood and righteousness, my beauty are. My glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds in these arrayed, I shall with joy lift up my head. I don't need to be afraid when I'm dressed in Jesus' blood and in his righteousness. But you've got to trust in him. The poor, the humble's got to come and put your trust in Jesus. Upon a life I did not live. Upon a death I did not die. Another's life, another's death. I stake my whole eternity. Trust in him and you're safe because you're on a rock that cannot be moved. Why was this prophecy given? Why is it in God's book when it's addressed to Babylon? Why did Isaiah, he didn't go tell it to Babylon, he told it to God's people. To comfort them. This is meant to comfort you and me. If you're a true Christian. And you see all of the power of this world. And all the seductiveness of it. That would allure men. And drown them and ruin their souls. And we think what can we do against all of this force and might. God says Babylon is fallen. Every Babylon will pass away. The burden of Babylon is sure to come to pass. Not only is it meant to comfort God's people, but it's meant also to counsel God's people. Solemn counsel. In Revelation 18, verse 4, this counsel is given to God's people. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. Come out! Touch not the unclean thing, or you will be partaker of her plagues. Don't be ensnared, God's people. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, says John in 1 John. If if we love the world, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, The pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The things they seek after, the passions that we all have, and they gratify. Don't you gratify them. The pride that they have, the vain glory of life, don't you be proud. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind through Jesus Christ. Don't let the world's ways, the world's patterns, the world's favor attract you. Come out from her, my people, that ye be not partaker of her plagues. But it is addressed to Babylon, too, because there's some in Babylon that we would call out, call to come, be one of God's people. Come to this place of refuge, this city that stands eternal. What about you? Which city are you in today? Are you a part of Babylon? Is that what you live for? Are you any different from the ninety percent of the people around you? Are you different? Do you live for different things? Do you live for the Lord Jesus or do you live for what everybody else lives for? If you're living like the rest of them, you're a part of Babylon. Change. Come to Christ. Trust in Him. Array yourself in his blood and righteousness. Today, the fashion of this world passes away, but he that doeth the will of God shall abide forever. Why not right now? If you're a Christian and you know that you've been a entangled and enmeshed in, a mesh in Courting Babylon. Why not right now? The dearest idol I've known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from its throne and worship only thee. Let that be your prayer. And if you are part of Babylon and you know it, but you want to be a part of God's city and God's Zion, right today, commit your life to Christ as we bow in prayer right now. Let us pray. In your heart, if you really mean business, you know where you stand. You know that you've never committed your life to Christ. But you want to, or you're not sure, and you want to be sure. Right now, in your heart, if you mean it, pray like this. Lord Jesus, how much a part of Babylon I've been. Lord, I believe that you will bring your purposes about. And I tremble. I want a place of safety. I come to you. To whom else can I go? I trust you as my Savior. I surrender to you as my King. Come into my life right now. Amen.